coming up next in this uh, particular part of the show, which is the business and uh, leisure travel sector, we're actually going to hear from Tyson Stelzer. Now, I know he's into wine, but this is a serious business it's to not him. A bad thing. He's just published his latest uh, uh, e-book on his guide to Australian sparkling wines, and uh, there are some terrific value. Uh, wines that he mentions uh, in the book but also in our little interview so stay tuned get the pen ready and uh, here is my chat with uh, Tyson Stelzer just an hour or so ago so it's coming to you hot off the press our resident wine expert Tyson Stelzer is on the line and very proud of his latest uh, publication the Australian Sparkling Report 2018 it's a 77 page ebook and uh, I've had a quick look through it. I haven't read it, as I was just explaining to him offline. Uh, but I'll enjoy sitting down with a glass of something, whether it's sparkling or red or rosé. Um, welcome back, uh, Tyson. Always great to have you on the line. Always great to be on, Graham. Happy belated Easter. And the same to you. I hope, I hope you've Thank had you. plenty of chocolate. Mine was more a sparkling Easter than a sweet <laughs> Easter, but it's exactly as I would have it. Oh, well, you would have had to wash down whatever you had, so uh, so that's Absolutely. good. Now, um, you cover a very broad range of uh, sparkling wines. Um, mm. I suppose when you first started, you, you were probably thinking of the uh, of the champagne alternatives available here in the uh, Australian. Is New Zealand included in this? Yeah, you know, it's funny the way it's gone full circle. I've been writing about wines of all kinds for professionally now for nearly 20 years. And champagne has become a particular specialty of mine since 2010. Right. And springboarding off the back of that, the opportunity to really get under the surface of Australian sparklings has become perhaps a more recent focus for me. And yes, I do also taste and showcase at my events New Zealand sparklings and Californian and UK and Proseccos and Carvers, etc., etc. But to me, the, the real focus of the sparkling world should uh, rightfully be around champagne itself and secondly around the wonderful diversity of sparkling wines that we make right here in Australia. Yeah because not everybody wants to buy the imported uh, product sometimes you really have to know whether it's been a good year back there in France don't you? Precisely and champagne is a luxury product it's set new records even in recent weeks we've seen the figures from last year released on the Australian sales and Australia is now the fastest growing champagne market in the world by volume and by value. Right. So we are we are drinking up in terms of the volume and the quality that we're drinking, but most of the time we're still drinking affordable sparklings and Australia does those better than champagne and in fact better than anywhere else in the world. Do you, do you reckon Melbourne might lead the charge given all the major events down here at which people might uh, take the chance to consume something celebratory? There's a lot of champagne sponsorship in Melbourne, obviously, but um, I live in Brisbane and we drink a lot of fizz up here too. And with Commonwealth Games fever at full height right now, I'm sure there's a lot of popping going on around the place. Right. Now, let's get to the to the uh, nub of things. What, what were yeah. the discoveries you made uh, in this uh, 2018 report? What are the sort of, what's the executive summary? Australian sparkling has really come of age in the last few years in its domestic success and in the past 12 months on an international scale. For the first time, Australian sparkling wine houses have been recognised ahead of still Australian wines in international competitions. And for the first time, too, we are seeing Australian sparkling export growth 
overtaking in, in percentage growth terms um, the exports of steel wines from Australia, even though sparkling is still such a very small portion of the Australian wine export offering. So it's, it's interesting as Australian consumers to start to look at how our friends around the world are regarding our sparkling wines. And to me, that's the ultimate benchmark. And from what I'm seeing, we are really receiving recognition and success like never before, which is a real sign that Australian sparkling is really performing well, not only from a quality point of view globally, but from a reputation point of view. Too. Right. Now, of course, the, the, the French... Um Champagne houses uh, haven't totally uh, abandoned life down under. Uh, Chandon um, is represented here and makes a local wine. Does any of that get exported back to France? I'm not sure how much of the beautiful wines of Domaine Chandon in Victoria actually go back to France itself. But there is, has been historically a significant investment in Australia by the Champagne houses, Champagne Louis Rodera helped to establish what is now the Jantz Vineyard in Tasmania. Uh, there's been, and still is, involvement of the House of DeVoe in the Yarra Valley. Moet and Chandon, of course, the most famous there with the main Chandon, but various others too. And I think one of the biggest barriers to even greater involvement of the Chandonnois in Australia is the sheer distance away that we are. I had one very famous champagne grower just a few weeks ago that he believes Tasmania producing the greatest sparkling wines in the world outside of Champagne right now. And the context of his conversation was the fact that he's about to embark on his own sparkling production in California. And I said, well, isn't there a contradiction there? It is. No, there's not. I can get to California in um, basically overnight from Champagne, whereas it takes a whole day to get to Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I noticed just if there's a slight negative to your report, it's the um, cork taint is uh, is an issue, and you're saying it's back at levels not seen for 15 years. It's such a shame. We are fortunate in Australia that most of our wines now are under reliable closures like screw caps, or in the case of sparkling wines, crown seals, or, or the DM cork product, which has had all the taint extracted before it's subjected to life in the bottle. Right. But sadly, a lot of sparkling wines around the world are still bottled under natural cork, and the rates of taint that I've seen in my tastings this year are back to the same levels I was seeing 15 years ago at the height of the cork taint crisis. More than one bottle in 20 um, ended up down the sink, not only from my Australian sparkling tastings, but also my champagne tastings and my New Zealand Pinot Noir tastings too, where natural cork's being used not regularly, but occasionally. Is that the fault of the cork or the winemaker, or where do you shoot it home to? Well... If it were the winemaker's fault, you would see the same issue under crown seals, screw caps and, and other closures, but uh, it's only ever an issue in my tastings under natural cork, so that's where the blame is, sadly. So and there's some bug in the cork closures. some bug in the cork before it's ever shoved in the bottle, is there? Correct. Okay. So the, the taint, um, from a scientific point of view, is trichloroamisole, and it's a compound that is kind of a a reaction between the mould that grows on the cork itself and the chlorine that's used to wash it. Right. And that's something that is particular to, well, it doesn't have to be exclusively particular to cork. It can occur in barrels or on anything, but it tends most likely to be carried with the cork itself. Right. 
Now, Tyson, I know there are people out there hanging on your every word in terms of uh, what is what what wines in the sparkling department have got your gong for 2018. So yeah. maybe we can quickly run through them. So my Australian Sparkling Report 2018 lines up all the highlights. And it's a free download on my website, TysonSpelzer.com, so everybody's welcome to jump in on there and um, rake and pillage the best of them. Oh, that's there's, a, sh- there's a there's shocking thing to say. <laughs> of really affordable sparkling wines on the shelves right now. Yep. And one that took me by complete surprise, it's a new label um, under a brand that we know and love called Ninth Island. Yep. And it's a rosé. It's non-vintage exclusively from the beautiful... Pinot Noir region of northeastern Tasmania called Piper's River, and it's available for under $25. Sometimes you'll even find it under $20. So that's my, my discount bargain wine of the year. Yep. And alongside that, some of the other highlights, Sepult makes a beautiful sparkling Shiraz called the Sepult Original, a very historic estate. In fact, been making sparkling Shiraz since the late 1800s. And their original non-vintage sparkling Shiraz is on discount around the place, under $20 in some stores at the moment. And that's um, an outstanding example of of a unique Australian style. Was that originally called Cold Duck or am I mixing my producers? (laughs) Thankfully, it was never as sweet as the infamous Cold Duck, although there were various incarnations of sparkling reds over the years. Yeah. Sparkling Burgundy, they used to call it, didn't they? Probably can't use that term anymore. Of course, because Burgundy's a place in France. Although there's an interesting conversation around this too, because the big debate at the moment is around the grape Prosecco. Yeah. Now, the Italians would have us believe that Prosecco is not the name of a grape, but the name of a region. But they've just invented that in recent years in order to try to protect the name that is as much Australian winemakers' right to use as is the word Chardonnay or Shiraz. So the great growers of Prosecco up in the King Valley have yep. produced my sparkling Prosecco of the year from Australia, um, from the, the great little estate of Discorsio. They are vigorously arguing their right to maintain the use of the Prosecco name. Is there a risk that well, they might have to change it? There's a small risk, although they tell me after meetings with the Australian politicians last week who are, are highly supportive and upholding the campaign of the Australian winemakers to maintain their right to use this name, that um, they feel well supported and um, they're confident that the work that they've put in to, to build the name of, of a very successful sparkling staff now for 20 years in Australia will, will hopefully be upheld by our politicians. Right. Now, if someone wants to have a serious lash out and buy a, a bottle um, of not French um, sparkling here in Australia, what should they spend and what should they look for? Awesome. So this is, this is where Australian sparkling becomes very exciting because no longer do the Champenois have the premium sparkling territory all to their own. And there are three brands right now that, to me, are in, in their own unique stylistic way producing wines that are not trying to be champagne. They don't taste like champagne, but they're made with very much the same quality aspirations yep. and uniquely Australian style. The first one is a name we know and love and was my sparkling house of the year last year. Turn, that's the great house of Arras in Tasmania, made by Ed Carr, Australia's most celebrated sparkling maker. Yep. And again this year, the house of, of my um, top premium sparkling wine of the year. What sort of money? My top Blanc de Blancs of the year. 
alongside of Aris is a name that is brand new, but made by a lady who we know and love by the name of Nat Fryer, and her brand is Bella Bon. Yeah. Bell as in good, um, Bon as, as beautiful and good in French, basically. Yeah. And her wine is a sparkling rosé, yeah. 2015 vintage, tiny production of just 1,472 bottles. So, Bell, get, get to her days. cellar door for that one, eh? Exactly. Right. Get one direct. That's Bella Bon by Nat Fryer. And the third name is one that I've mentioned already today in the bargain stakes, but also producing what I rated last year to be the finest Australian sparkling wine I've ever tasted. Not a sparkling white or pink at all, but in fact another red wine. And this is the big brother to the Sepult original. It's called Sepult Show Reserve. Current vintage is 2007. And it's a, a beautiful example of Australia's historic sparkling Shiraz style. And, and what would you be spending for these three, roughly? Bellabon retails for 65. 65? Aris Vintage Wines, um, the 2007 and 2008 vintage wines that I've rated in my report sell for about $80 each. Yep. And the Sapport Show Reserve is 100 Okay. Well, I, I think I spent $57 for a bottle of Mum or Mum the other day yep. to have a little celebration. It was okay. I didn't actually think it was that good. I probably would have been happier with, uh, you know, something uh, other from Australia. But we did French because it sounded sounded good at the time. Yes. <laughs> Maybe not a good well, move. Most people buy that way. To be quite honest, the wines I've just named, um, wine for wine, dollar for dollar, next to the wine that you've just tasted, I know where my vote would go each time on those. And in those cases, it wouldn't be to the French wine. Well, there you go. You've heard it from Tyson, the horse's mouth, so to speak. Uh, uh, Tyson, thanks so much for, for your time. And if people want to download your report, the Australian Sparkly Report 2018, au. That's right, but without the au. Oh, dot com. com. Dot com. All right, we'll look forward to talking to you again real soon, Tyson. Thanks again. Pleasure, Graham. Great to chat. Have a sparkling afternoon. You too. <laughs> Well, Tyson, he never misses a chance to get a plug in for a, a drink, uh, but he's a good guy. He was our ever-present uh, resident wine expert, Tyson Stelzer, and he's given you that address. You can download the 77-page ebook. I highly recommend it. He's really done a very thorough job.